morning, everyone. Hey. <laughs> one in every crowd. <laughs> uh, now, scripture reading this morning comes from Deuteronomy 4, uh, verses 25 through 31. Follow along with me as I read. When you father children and children's children and have grown old in the land, if you act corruptly by making carved image in the form of anything and by doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God, so as to provoke him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will soon utterly perish from the land that you're going over the Jordan to possess. You will not live long in it but will be utterly destroyed. And the Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. And there you will serve gods of wood and stone, the work of human hands that neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. But from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him, if you search after him with all of your heart and with all of your soul. When you're in tribulation and all these things come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your mercy and your grace. I pray that during our seasons of life that whatever we may go through, that we know we can call on you and you are there. Lord, lead us by your word. Lead us by your spirit. We thank you for Jesus, and we thank you for your word preached this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. This is an interesting passage as we've kind of jumped into Deuteronomy, and we've actually seen hope for the first time in a long time in God's word. Numbers not full of a whole lot of hope. You get to Deuteronomy and the people are on the cusp of going into the promised land and Moses is giving them a reminder of what God has said and what they are to be and to do. But then you get to verses 25 through 31 and the tone changes. The tone changes to a warning, a prophetic warning for the people of God that when they go into the land, it could only take a couple of generations before everything goes south. If you look at the text, it says it really plainly. When you father children and children's children. So they're going to prosper. They're going to have kids. They're going to have grandkids. But it says, and you've grown old in the land if you act corruptly by making a carved image in the form of anything. He says, you're going to grow old in the land. You're going to start having kids. Your kids are going to have kids. But if you're not careful, that's what we talked about last week. If you don't take care. You're going to drift away from the Lord your God into the gods of the people of the land, into the false gods made of carvings and wood and stone and false gods that have no power. And you're going to provoke the Lord to anger. Last week we talked about the need to take care, to pay attention in our lives and to what we believe, to listen to God speaking and to obey what God has said, to make sure we're actually treating God's word as if God said it. Novel idea, right? We call it God's word and then treat it as if it's optional, right? 
But no, if we're going to be people who are walking with the Lord, we have to take God's word as God's word. But if we don't take care, if we aren't careful, then we end up slipping into sin. Ajith Fernando wrote, carelessness is the mother of sin. And, and here's the thing. Moses is speaking to the people, reminding them of who God is and what he's commanded so that they will be careful, so that they'll teach it to their kids, so they won't stray into the ways of the idol worshippers, so that, so that their sin won't lead them to greater sin and greater sin and greater sin until they leave the Lord their God completely. But today's passage gives a prophetic warning, a word to the people of God that the day was coming if they weren't careful that they would forget God's word. And we know the rest of the story, right? We know the rest of the story because we can actually read through the Old Testament and we can see this all came true. They walked away. They took on the idols and the, the worldly thoughts and wisdom of the people around them. That They did turn from the Lord their God. They, their kings would even set up false worship and idol worship within the kingdom. And they did what was wicked in the sight of the Lord. In fact, you go with king after king after king after king. And we're going to see when we get there in seven years what that looks like, right? And you're going to see king after king after king after king. And it's going to say this. They did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. That didn't mean they were murdering people. That didn't mean they were stealing stuff. You know what that meant? They set up and allowed idol worship to continue among the people. No matter how good a king, no matter how wise, no matter how prosperous the people were, they did evil in the sight of the Lord by allowing the worship of false gods to continue. And this is what it takes. It takes a couple of generations. You've seen this happen, haven't you? You've seen it happen where a family is super dedicated to the Lord and super dedicated to the church, but then it just takes one set of parents to say, run after these things on Sundays. Church, optional. Things of God, optional. Two generations later, the kids don't even know who Jesus is. It's 1980s. You could ask any kid in elementary school about the story of Noah, and they could tell you what it was. Now, unless they have a friend in their class named Noah, they have no idea what you're talking about. It only takes a couple of generations, and we have to take care with our families, with our kids, to make sure we are believing the Word, teaching the Word, studying the Word, living the Word. But we know that people would then take on the gods of the land around them, that they would break the law of their covenant with God who called them to absolute loyalty, that the people of Israel, the people of God, would become like the people that Paul writes of in 2 Timothy 4. He writes this, The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And people don't believe the Bible's true? This is the reality, but it's not a future reality. It, was, it became a present reality for the people of God, and it continues to be a present reality in our world. What, what will it look like? What does it look like for God's people to wander off from God? So Moses gives prophetic warning that will color the entire history of the people of Israel and still colors the realities of God's people today. The people who we sing it this way, 
prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. It's, it's an old hymn. It's been around for a long time. But it's been the reality for God's people who have been so prone to walk away and wander. When we stop doing battle against our own flesh, against our own sins, when we stop listening to God and taking care with our lives, we will wander. So what does this wandering look like? What does he warn of that this is going to happen? Many of the people of God will leave the Lord for false gods. They'll leave God and go to a created God, a false God. They'll live out Romans 1 where it says that they exchange the creator God for created gods. They exchange the truth of God for a lie. They'll exchange the God who has spoken to them and has said his word and has said his word in eternity. They'll exchange him for what verse 28 says, there you will serve gods of wood and stone, the work of human hands that neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. They'll trade the personal God who has spoken to them and cared for them and provided for them for a God who has no power and has no life. This is what's going to happen. And they'll turn from the desires of God to their own desires. They'll exchange the truth of what God has said for what they think. Now, mind you, these are the people who call themselves the people of God that he's talking about. He's not talking about the pagans in the land here. He's talking about the people who are called by the name of the covenant God, Yahweh. They call themselves the people of God. These aren't the Canaanites. These aren't the Moabites. These aren't the otherites. These are the, these are the, these are the people of God. These are the people who have heard directly from God, who have been redeemed out of slavery, made into a new nation and a new people. It, it's these people who will drift in a couple of generations into a people who won't listen to God, who do not follow God who utterly turn from God and embrace false gods. And so you may say, but there's no way, Brad, there's no way I would turn to false gods. I'm sure they thought that too. I'm sure when they heard this, they were like, no, we're not going to have that problem. But the fact is, every sin that we embrace is a sin that leads us down the slippery slope towards idolatry. Every sin, every sin that we embrace is a rejection of God. Every lie is a rejection of the truth. Every lust is a rejection of God's desire for us. Every envious thought is a rejection of God's good provision. We say God isn't providing. He's not good. Every wandering eye is a rejection of God's design for husband and wife. Every overwhelming worry, now I might be getting really personal, is a rejection of God's perfect peace that he promises. Every sin is at its root a rejection of what God has said to be true. And the warning here is that a rejection of God's word is actually a rejection of God. It is the beginning of the slippery slope towards idolatry. And you said, no, hold on, how, how does that work? Here's how it works. God's word and God himself are linked. In fact, they are one and the same. God is as good as his word, amen? And God's word is as good as God. So to reject one, are you not rejecting 
the other. This is the danger of the world we live in and even churches that reject what God has said plainly in his word because they don't see that they're not just rejecting a book. They're not just rejecting a phrase. They're not just rejecting. They're rejecting God has said. Therefore, they are rejecting the God who said it. This is the danger for the people of God. This is the danger for the people of Israel, that a rejection of God's word is the first stage of a rejection of God himself. What will it look like for the people to wander? Many of the people will pursue destruction. And you're like, why would they pursue destruction? Because they reject God's provision. And the opposite of God's provision will lead them to ultimate destruction. No matter if they have temporary temporary riches, temporary security, temporary ultimate becomes destruction. God's law was not just, when God gave his law, he didn't just give a list of ten commandments, right? He didn't just say, thou shalt not, thou shalt, thou shalt not, thou shalt, ten times. He didn't do that. He also gave them an entire ethic for the people of God. We read it every week. We read it at the beginning of the service today. What did we say? That you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That's not just in Peter's writings. That comes straight from the law of God, and we're going to get to it. I want you to see that people of Israel were the chosen race, the royal priesthood, the holy nation, the people for his own possession. They were the ones who were supposed to be set apart. They were the ones who had heard from God. They were the ones that were given this new life of living under the rule and blessing of God in this promised land. And the the ethic of that kingdom was what God gave in his law. It, it, it handled everything from how to parent. What are you supposed to do when your kids were disobedient? What, what do you do as husband and wife? Cleanliness laws, eating laws. How about what do I do with this field that I have? How many years do I plant? How many years do I reap? How many... And when do I need to take a break? Hey, what if I'm poor and I need to sell the land that my father has and it's the family name and it's my inheritance in the kingdom? What do I do? And I have to sell it off. Well, every jubilee year, you get it back. What about people who have to sell themselves into slavery or indentured servanthood? What, what do we do with that? Well, every 50 years, they're all set free. This is all part of the law of God. God gave an entire ethic for his people and how they lived. And the danger is when you get into the land and you start rejecting God's word, you also start rejecting God's ways. And so you start saying, well, that guy who is a pagan worshiper seems to be having more crops than I do. So if I plant my field the way he does, maybe I'll have more crops. Well, these people, they trust in that leader who seems really powerful. So if I'll kind of get in good with him and make myself a servant to him, I'll be protected as well. You know, these people, they're really good. They fight for everything and they're, they're known as the tough guys. If I get in with them, then I'm never going to have any problem having everything that I want. You see what happens? You get rid of the ethic of what God has said in his word and you replace it with the wisdom and the ways of the world around you. So we know that the people of Israel, it didn't take them any time at all to stop keeping the covenant that God 
made with them. They gave up the promises and the prosperity that God promised them right from the beginning. They went their own way. They started doing things their own way. And so the people of God, in doing that, rejected God's provision. They, they embraced and flirted with the ways of the pagan world around them. Therefore, they rejected God's perfect provision. This is where the rubber meets the road for us. This is where things could get really dicey for us, where we have to really take stock, where we have to really stop and think, okay, I know that I can make a list of 100 sins that I should avoid, right? So I'm just not going to do those things and I'll be holier than the rest of the world. Probably right. If you were to take 100 sins and make a list and you didn't do those, you'd be doing a lot better than most of the people in the world. Be like, well, I don't do that, so I must be okay. But then all you become is the Pharisee looking at the tax collector in Jesus' story as he talks about the two men going to pray, saying, well, thank God I'm not like that guy. There's no righteousness in that. No, righteousness is total obedience to God, total loyalty to God, total following after the Lord, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And so what does that entail? What that entails is a rejection of the way the world does things. You see, if we're going to embrace the ways of the world, we will reject the ways of God. And if we're going to embrace the ways of God, we will reject the ways of the world. The ways they find power, the ways they find influence, the ways they get what they want, the schemes of the world. But the people of God often drift into rejecting the ultimate prosperity that God has promised us for get-rich-quick schemes. We often reject the joy of living under God's rule and blessing for a false security that some man in some big house tells us we can get from him. And we run after the things that make us feel secure now. And we begin to flirt with those things, flirt with the way the pagan nation around us does things. And ultimately what's going to happen is that's going to lead to the demise of Israel and it's going to lead to the demise of God's people if we're not careful. This is how that works. The wages of sin is death. Okay, so sin leads to death which means that any flirting with sin is a flirting with That's the danger. The danger is as soon as we start to embrace even the, the fringe of what the world is teaching us, we begin to reject the center of what God has called us to. See, God's special love had been placed on the people of Israel, a providing love, a prospering love, a, a faithful love, a never giving up love, a love that could come only from the one true God. But the people of Israel rejected that love and with it embraced the destruction and the demise that comes from being outside of that love. Think of God's love and grace as an umbrella. They were under it. They rejected it. So they stepped out from underneath that protection. And in doing so, they were in the land of despair, in the land of the demise, in the land of ultimate destruction. And is not the same true with us? That every time we compromise what God has said plainly in his word for a more expedient approach, something that just gets us there a little bit quicker and a little bit easier, taking the path of least resistance as opposed to the righteous, biblical, godly path, 
the way we parent, the way we make money, the way we pursue success, where we find security. See, every time we compromise what God has said, every time we pursue what God has forbidden or seek gain in a way that God has forbidden, every time we embrace the ways of the world and exchange the truth of God for a lie, every time we dabble with the wisdom of the world and seek the security of the world, we reject God and his perfect provision for us. And we begin to embrace the danger and the despair that comes with rejecting God. But I want you to know, as bleak as all of that sounds, and it gets really bleak for the people of God, for the people of Israel through their history, really bleak. Like at one point they're being, all of this comes true, and they're literally being dragged out of Jerusalem on giant hooks. The conquerors come and like just pierce them through the back and start dragging them out. That's how dire and desperate things got for Israel at one point. So knowing how bleak that is, I want you to have hope today. And here's the hope. The question has to be, how will God respond to his unfaithful people? How will God respond when his people stray? And in essence, this is the story of the rest of the history of the Israelite people, is how will God respond when they are unfaithful? And the answer, the answer is found in verse 31. Look at verse 31. It says, For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. At the end of the last section that we read last week, it said the Lord your God is a jealous God. At the end of this section, it says the Lord your God is a merciful God. And you know what happens if God is jealous and merciful? He's not going to let you off the hook. He's coming after you to get you in the best way possible. He's coming after you because he's merciful. He's not going to let you off the hook. He's not going to let you escape his mercy if you are his child. See, God is merciful, so he's not going to leave his people, it says. Even when they flirt with forgetting him, he holds a remnant of his people and never leaves them. God is merciful, so he will not destroy his people. Even when they flirt with their own destruction, even when they're running and playing with fire, he doesn't allow the fire to destroy them. This is what God does. He might use it to discipline them to say, don't be dumb, but he's not going to use it to destroy them. He keeps a remnant for himself. God is merciful, so he will not forget his covenant promises that even when the people of God forget what God has said, God hasn't forgotten what he said, and he's going to remain faithful. In fact, he's going to cause his covenant to endure and keep his side of the covenant. He's always going to keep his side of the covenant. And even when we have been breaking it over and over and over again, when the people of God are incapable of keeping their side of the covenant, here's what he did. He sent his only begotten son who kept his side of the covenant and our side of the covenant, who fully followed God's law, who loved the Lord as God with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength, who was loving his neighbor as himself, who, who did not count his life as anything less than a sacrifice. He wanted to give it in our place. And so here we have the whole hope of the gospel in the fact that the Lord your God is merciful and he will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. And today the hope 
that we need is found in the character of God. The hope that every believer needs who is struggling with sin is this. God is a merciful God. God is a merciful God. And look at what Moses says will happen when God's people wake up. And they wake up in the middle of their sin and they wake up in the middle of their despair and they wake up in the middle of the destruction that their sin has caused and they return to him. Look, verse 29. From there, from the, in the middle of all of the pain, from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you search after him with all your heart, with all your soul. When you are in tribulation and all these things come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. I want you to hear this today, that the true people of God, the true people who believe, even though they fall, even though they stumble, even though they run headlong into sin, can repent. If you are a child of God, you can repent. You can turn from your sin, turn to God, return to him and obey his voice. And it's God who is gracious to bring misery into your life so that you won't be comfortable in your sin. So we look at the misery in our lives that brought on by our sin and we go, how, how awful. It's the grace of God that brings you to misery so that you will know your need of him, so that you won't be comfortable in your sin. Verses 26 through 27 outline the complete misery that accompanies sin for God's people. Right? He uses words like utterly perish and utterly destroyed and scattered among the nations. God is promising his people, I'm not going to let you get away with it. I'm not going to allow you to remain in your sin and still think you get the benefits of a right relationship with God. I'm not going to let that happen. He's not going to be a father who coddles his children in their wayward ways. He's going to set parameters and standards and he's going to discipline his people towards those standards, even harshly at times, in order to make known that they belong to him, that they are his. And sometimes, sometimes, and parents, you know this, sometimes the best way to help us see that we should be with God and that we belong to him is to let us suffer. Sometimes the best way to get us to a point, we, we call it hitting rock bottom. Right? Have you ever said that about somebody? Well, they're probably just going to have to hit rock bottom. You ever, who's ever said that, Right? They're probably going to have to, before they wake up, they're just going to hit, hit. Yeah, guess what? You and I too. And here's what God is saying. When we're at rock bottom and we're like, this isn't fair. I don't, he's like, uh, fair. You're right. It's not fair. It should be worse. <laughs> right? But when we're at that point of misery and we're like, I need out of this. What in the world? God, I need you. I got you. Right where I needed you to be. To bring you to that place of desperation. You can, you can think of it as the discipline of misery. That sounds like a book title that nobody would read, right? <laughs> the discipline of misery is that God is bringing us to a place where there's no prosperity and no comfort in our lives anymore because he's not going to allow his children to get comfortable in their sin because you're not made for that. And it's this misery that leads the people to repent to the Lord. Verse 30, when you are in the tribulation, in the misery, and all these things come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. 
Every trial, every single trial in the life of a believer is an opportunity to run to the Lord, not from the Lord. Every trial is an opportunity to draw closer to the Lord, not stray farther from the Lord. And it's the grace and love of the Lord that brings this discipline of misery into our lives. Allows us to be miserable for a moment so that we can find joy in him and we won't seek for it anywhere else. And this is what Jesus said to the church at Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3. He says, those whom I love I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. And when you repent, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. So we are, when we're the people of God, we're supposed to be in fellowship with him, eating with him, fellowship with him, in the, in the household of the Lord. But we've rejected him and we've turned aside and we've gone to our own meals. We've tried to find our own way of sustaining our lives. And he brings us to this point of needing him and we go, Lord, I need you. And he's there at the door, knocking. To come in. Yes, he's reproved us. Yes, he's disciplined us, bringing us to a point of misery. And then he comes in to eat with us. That we belong to him. But there's a warning here. See, not everyone who calls themselves part of the people of God, will actually turn from their sin and repent. Because not every person who calls themselves a believer is actually a believer. Not every member of the nation of Israel was a person of faith and a person of the covenant. What verses 26 and 27 make clear is that those who will not repent have destruction awaiting, but that the mark of the true people of God is that we return to God. The mark of the true people of God is repentance. And so it's important for us to see that though forgiveness is promised to all who repent and who seek the Lord with their whole heart, who return to the Lord, that there is no guarantee given in this passage that people will be given more time to repent. And that's the danger. That's the danger of even dipping our toes into sin. So you need to hear this. I need you to hear me say this. For those who are walking in sin today, who are either dabbling in sin or walking fully in darkness, there is real danger. Either either that you will be proven to love the darkness and not the light. And so be proven that you are actually not a child of God, that you will not repent and prove that you really aren't of the people of God. Or there's the danger that just like the Israelites are told here, that it will take real suffering and real anguish and real bitter circumstances to get you to the desperation necessary to cry out to the Lord. Either way, as Ajith Fernando says, the consequences of sin are so bad that even though there is forgiveness, sinning is never worth it. So all of us need to remember, need to hear, how do we return to the Lord then? Whether big sins or so-called little sins, how do we repent? How do we return to the Lord? And the answer is in verse 29. You see it there? But from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. Repenting and returning to the Lord must be wholehearted and whole-souled. There's no halfway repentance. 
There's no such thing as halfway repentance because, praise the Lord, there's no such thing as halfway forgiveness. We hold nothing back. Sin needs to be honestly and completely admitted and mourned. You don't get to tell God half the story, and that would be dumb because he already knows the whole story. You don't get to repent for half the sin, and you don't get to blame everybody else for your part in the sin. You don't get to, you don't get to go before the Lord and say, if he hadn't of, or if she hadn't of, it doesn't matter because you did. Sin needs to be repented of in community for accountability and for discipline. And, and ultimately, verse 30 tells us that it's not enough to repent by saying, I'm sorry, I won't do it again. But verse 30 tells us that when you're in tribulation, all these things come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and what? Obey His voice. So repentance leads to obedience. And this is what John makes clear in 1 John 1 because he's speaking to believers there about the life of the people of God and the practical walking out and working out of life in in repentance and faith in Jesus. And the image he gives is of people who walk in the light and the difference between walking in the light and walking in the darkness. He says this in 1 John 1, verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say, if we say we have fellowship with him, so if we say we're of the people of God, that we are Christians, while we walk in darkness, what does John say is true about us? Does he say we're Christians? He says we lie and do not practice the truth. Verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let me, let me put it as simply as I can. He's saying there are two types of people who call themselves believers. One, dark walkers. These are people who walk in the dark, and every once in a while they might come into the light, and when they come into the light go, I'm pretty perfect. They're lying about themselves while they're in the darkness, saying they're of the people of God, and they're lying about themselves when they come into the light because their sins are not going to be exposed there because they hide them and say they're perfect. That's one type of person. These are the people who aren't actually the people of God. These are the people that he says are liars and do not practice the truth, that deceive themselves and are liars to others. And these are often the people that the Lord will have to take through abject misery if they're ever going to return to, to the Lord or come to repentance. And they're the people who have no guarantee that they will get straight with God one day. You've heard that one before, haven't you? People are like, yeah, I know, I know. I'll get, I'll get, I'll get clean one day. I'll get, I'll get straight with God one day. Or the people who will ask forgiveness later, the people who think life is lived better by asking for forgiveness as opposed to asking for permission. No, these are dark walkers. These are the people that Jesus spoke of in John 3 when he says, this is the judgment, the light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. So there's only two types of people who call themselves believers. There's dark walkers who more than likely aren't believers at all, who don't have fellowship, as John would say, with God. And there are light walkers 
Those who love the light because it shows God's work in them. Those who are willing to bring their sin into the light so it can be dealt with and exposed. They they understand that their sin needs to be disciplined and forgiven. And it's these people, the light walkers. The dark walkers don't have this hope. The light walkers are the only ones who get to claim 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Dark walkers don't get that hope. Only light walkers get that hope that he will restore us to himself. And so today, today as we get ready to sing here in just a moment, you may be walking in the darkness, completely oblivious to the danger and destruction that's around the corner. You're just living your life in ignorance and bliss. You're you're happy in your life. You're content in what your path is. You're content in your sin. But the truth is that a life apart from the Lord is a life that leads to nowhere but despair and destruction in the end. You can get temporary happiness, temporary prosperity, but ultimate destruction. You've prospered, but one day that prospering will be gone. So where will your hope be then? Maybe, maybe you're one who knows the truth about Jesus. You were a VBS kid since the womb. And you know that he is God. You can sing it in every, and still know the motions, right? Like you, you're that kid, right? You're the kid who memorized John 3.16 in four languages. You know how to find every book in the Bible. You're, you're that guy, right, who knows that God is God, that knows that Jesus is the son of the living God, that he is God in the flesh, You know that Jesus lived a sinless life for you, that he died on the cross taking your place for the debt that you owed for your sin and sinfulness. You know that he rose again, defeating death and sin. And you know that, but you're banking on it for the future. You're banking on it for one day. You're traipsing around in the dark saying you have fellowship with the Lord, that you're a follower of Jesus, but you aren't even walking in the same direction as Jesus. How would it be possible to be a follower of Jesus if he's walking in the light and you're walking in the darkness? And so you say you know, and in fact you do know, but that does not mean that you believe. In fact, you're banking on the fact that it's going to get you into heaven. And yet it has no bearing on your life today. John calls you a dark walker. Or maybe, maybe you're here today and you're in the middle of hardship. And maybe that hardship was even brought on by some sin that you committed and you know that. Maybe it was the consequences of your sin and the choices that you've made, things you've done. And you'd love to blame someone else for them, but the fact of the matter is, you know you have to first take a good look at your own culpability in the situation. Maybe, maybe you're suffering and it's no result of your sin. It's just God loving you enough to make you desperate for him. But you know, you know that you want all of your faults and your sins in the light so that the Lord can work through them and in them and change you. You're miserable, but that misery is disciplining you towards godliness. And it's right on the verge of making you desperate 
for no one but Jesus. So no matter what your situation, the message is the same. You will seek the Lord and you will find him if you search after him with your heart, all your heart and with all your soul. He's near to the brokenhearted. But he flees the proud. The Lord is bringing us all to a place to be made low so that we would be desperate for him. So repent. Return to the Lord because he's not far away. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. Father, I pray that now you would show your mercy for those here who need to cry out to you, that they would use this time as we sing to cry out to you. They would not say, Lord, I'll get it straight later, but they would realize they're not guaranteed later. They've been guaranteed this moment and brought to this place so that they might cry out to you. Lord, make us all those who would now return. Cry out to you and then you come in and you dine with us, Lord. Fellowship with us. Bring us joy and peace and prosperity and all that you promised us in Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and as the Lord works, you make your commitments to the Lord. The front is always open.